0: This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast.
1: Hey, this is Andrew Stewart Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome to Gotham TV Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the TV show Gotham and the Connected DC Universe. We are on episode 29 of Gotham TV Podcast, episode 10 of Gotham, entitled Lovecraft,
2: and I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. Last episode of the of the season of Gotham, or the first season of Gotham, so winter finale time, mid season uh, finale, mid season yeah. finale, yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, really excited on this one. Uh, we're really looking forward to this episode, and uh, I think it paid off in spades.
1: Yeah, Chris Kringle finale for <laughs>
2: Gotham, for Gotham uh, in Ireland and the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess uh, what we've been doing this week since the last episode, if you haven't uh, been able to download our podcasts. Um, we've just released a podcast interview with uh, Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stewart-Jones, a live interview which was which lasted for an hour uh, and was held with our friends over at Legends of Gotham.
1: That's yeah, um, Bill and uh, Anne-Marie. Yeah,
2: yeah, really good fun. I hope you got a chance to listen to it. If you haven't, um, it should be in your feed. Uh, otherwise, go down and download it and, and have a listen. It's really good fun and really great to catch up with, uh, with the members of the MCU and ask a bunch of questions that I know we were dying to get the answers exactly. to. Exactly.
1: And you can see just how bad we are at uh, accents yeah. other than our own
2: yep yeah. uh, you can watch the video on youtube as well if you if you want to see what we look like see what's behind oh gosh, these don't voices. do that <laughs> i am a
1: face made for radio <laughs> or podcasting or podcasting
2: <laughs> exactly excellent excellent well i guess with that on to the news
1: So um, sticking with uh, members of the MCU or a member of the MCU, Victoria Cartagena, who plays Rene Montoya, and Erin Richards, who plays Barbara Keane, uh, both these characters um, and individuals, I should say, have been nominated for an EFTA Ellen.com Award for the Best Lesbian Couple on uh, TV. If that little teaser, steamy, slightly misty scene there at the end of episode nine got you going, got you uh,
2: riled up, um, certainly <laughs> riled up or excited, excited, yeah, both, okay. riled, yeah. Um, <laughs> we we know from we know from Andrew Stewart Jones it definitely got him happy.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> this was an excellent bit of TV um, for me, and um, we asked the question um, to Victoria this importance of the homosexual feelings of her character, Renee Montoya, just how important that is to be retained by the character, even though it isn't the be-all and end-all of that character, that it's a really significant moment for um, comic book characters, graphic novel characters, moving from the book through to the screen. It's really important that that was retained and Gotham has retained that. And so I think justly... um, there is this vote, um, an award nomination uh, on AfterEllen.com for uh, Best Lesbian Couple on TV. I haven't seen much of them as a couple, but um, certainly it's provided an interesting menage à uh, (laughs) trois for... Maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. No, sorry. <laughs> maybe. Not menage a trois. Love that. triangle. That's the, I, that's the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> between Barbara, uh, René, and Jim, and obviously the conflict and tension that all that brings between those three characters which has been really good to see
2: Yeah absolutely uh, and also um, Rena Montoya as a character herself has been nominated for best uh, for best um, lesbian character on TV this year. Which I think is great. Obviously, that that's Definitely. A, a perfect, a, a really good part and a really good character overall. I know some people haven't. I know none of us have seen a huge amount of the relationship between Renee and Barbara play out as a as an actual relationship. Uh, so far, we hear there's there's more to come next uh, next half of the season. Um, so if if you feel that it's not the couple that that you want to vote for, you can also vote for uh, for Renee Montoya as well uh, in the After Allen poll. So that's great. That's yeah. great news. So, yeah, vote
1: um, at com for Rennie Montoya um, and also then for the best lesbian couple, uh, Rennie Montoya and Barbara Keane. Yep.
2: So in other news, we have reached out to Channel 5 about the rest of Season 1. Uh, episode 10 that aired uh, last night is the last episode of this half of the season, which we've, which we've spoken about, obviously. Um, it returns in the U.S. on the 5th of January. Um, But unfortunately, the response that we've received is that uh, that at the moment, they have yet to decide an air date in the UK for the rest of season one. We've been asked a number of times um, when the show is going to be coming back. So we did reach out and we did get that response Uh, right now. they're, They're essentially saying that it will be later in the year. That's essentially all we've heard. So so bear in mind the release date for the pilot of season one was only announced two weeks before it aired in the UK. Just as we were leaving for New York Comic Con, we got the announcement of the the date uh, for the first episode of season one. Um, which was only a couple of weeks behind the U.S. I think some of the pieces that we've talked about before that, that played into that were the number of breaks that that happen in the U.S. show. We've had zero breaks since the series started 10 weeks ago. We've had no breaks. We've had no uh, no off weeks. It's been 10 episodes in a row. Uh, so the expectation would be there's 12 episodes in the rest of the season. Um, yeah. So the expectation would be that we have those 12 episodes. We'll They'll play them as close to back-to-back in the U.K., um, as they can so whether that means this the show won't start airing until february or whether that means it'll be uh it'll be finished by say march or april and um, that those kind of decisions are still being made at channel five at the moment so we will
1: update you all as soon as we have any further confirmation of that date. It might be more than likely that we will be doing it through Twitter or Facebook handles. So definitely, um, like follow us on our Twitter account, our Facebook account, or Google Plus at Gotham TV Podcast. Just give us a search there, and you should be able to um, find us. Hopefully, we will spring up uh, from the search. Yeah, I mean, so far we. Really, I am thinking it's going to be early 2015, hopefully in January, touch wood, fingers crossed, rub the rabbit's foot, (laughs) that it will be um, very close to the American air date. I think that would be really good. I mean, I know uh, Bill uh, Bill Meeks from Legends of Gotham when we were doing the interview with uh, Victoria and Andrew. Last week we was saying we hope it is closer that we can discuss things about the show between um, ourselves or even just over the air on the podcast. So it, it really would help us connect a bit closer into our American and Canadian friends. And I think also... To, for the UK viewers to connect with the American viewers, I mean, with Twitter and so on, so many things can get maybe spoiled or, um, or you know, people obviously will maybe seek to look and watch them sooner than they should do. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think the closer it could be to the 5th of January, I think it would be really good. It seems to be talked about this before it seems to be the way that certainly some of the really big shows like walking dead and game of thrones are mm-hmm. doing and in fact even with um arrow and the flash on sky over here mm-hmm. is very close to the cw uh date um i think it's, it's only about a week or two weeks between there rather than i think for us three four weeks and four episodes
2: between and yeah. um, i think i think at times and again just to, just to point it out at times um, I think we started out three, maybe four weeks behind the US, but that gap did shorten over the over the couple of weeks because of breaks like Thanksgiving, which we don't have over here. Because of the, a couple of breaks that happened for, uh, I don't know. I think there was one for for some of the um, some of the voting that happened in in the US, and um, which we don't have. And te- you know, traditionally a UK program will will play out all the episodes back to back, one a week. Every week, so people know to sit down on the couch at nine pm or sit down on the couch at eight pm to watch that particular show. Uh, I presume that's what Channel Five are going for. It's quite easy to have someone you know forget to tune in for an episode um, the following <laughs> week, or uh, or miss or think they've missed an episode when actually there's none on. So, um, so I think they're probably just working through those plans. And as I said, we we will update you. But
1: Gotham will return uh, with episode eleven uh, entitled "Rogues Gallery." That's right. That's um, right. So, yeah. That will be 5th of January in the US and Canada. And currently, no known date for when Gotham will return to Channel 5 in the UK and in Ireland.
2: Yep, so just for yourselves, we'll obviously be taking a bit of a break after this after this episode over the Christmas period. Um, but we don't know exactly what date we're going to be returning. We'll hopefully have something in our off-season uh, to, to put up during, uh, during the time we're off. Uh, maybe just a season recap, but there may be some other things. Um, so, on to yeah. some more news.
1: Absolutely. In DC Connected news, uh, Derek's worst nightmare came true. <laughs> I Sorry, no, that's not entirely true. Um, he didn't think it was possible or slash didn't think it was going to happen that um, a Superman prequel uh, TV series would happen. Um, I think it was rumoured that David S. Goya who's been the showrunner for Constantine, was in developing this Superman prequel entitled Krypton. Um, The pitch being years before the Superman legend, we know the House of El was shamed and ostracised, and that this series would follow uh, the Man of Steel's grandfather as he brings hope and equality uh, to Krypton, Turning a planet that is in disarray into one worthy of giving birth to the greatest superhero ever known. So yeah, this is happening.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm and really on sci-fi. Surprised. I'm really surprised. I think uh unfair. Uh <laughs> not fair to say I was uh, this is not my, my worst nightmare. Uh I think I've shown over the last ten episodes that I'm willing to uh willing to accept prequels uh based on properties that I like and properties that I'm interested in. Um, this is coming from David S. Gore, his work on Constantine has been fantastic. His That's work true. you know, he, he is he was the writer of Man of Steel, and remember, Man of Steel started out on the planet of Krypton um with the family of uh, of the House of El, essentially. Which was a
1: really I mean that was a really fascinating part of that film for Absolutely. me as well. Just seeing that whole thing again, um Play out. I yeah. thought that was really
2: good. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot more than we'd seen in film before. Um, exactly. And he wrote that he obviously has seen a, a nugget in that uh, in that world or in that society that he thinks can, he can take to the screen. A lot of people have been talking about this as kind of a Game of Thrones idea, which is a go-to for any kind of uh, for any kind of familial battles between different houses, and essentially the call-out of the House of L was a, is, is something that people are, are tagging on to mean. Will we have a Game of Thrones style? Uh, society going on. Game with... of Thrones in space? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty cool, yeah, with, that with, uh, would be pretty cool actually. That would be pretty cool. Fighting dragons or riding dragons. Isn't it?
1: It's one of those things as well which a bit like with Gotham, sort of when we heard Danny Cannon say that you know he was really surprised when looking at some of the backstories of some of these really familiar Batman and Gotham characters and even some of the big villains uh, and rogues mm. uh, from Batman's history that The absence of a backstory or a really fleshed out backstory was quite apparent. And of course, one of the things here is that certainly going back to, you know, the grandfather of Superman, not too much has been written about that either. So you could really develop that quite nicely and sort of set against a kind of a Game of Thrones type um, operatic uh, of these struggles and, and tensions between different houses with different kind of values and ethos, whether they're competing or in allegiance, will be, or will be, I say will be, could be really interesting. Yeah. And this would add to the whole story and mythos of, again,
2: Superman, of Clark Absolutely. Kent. Absolutely. The the limited amount that we know about Jor-El um, and, about, uh, and about Kal-El. When they were on the planet, essentially together, Kalel El was only a baby. So, uh, Jor El, his father, who was played by uh, Russell Crowe, yeah, yeah, Russell, Russell Crowe Crow,
1: or Marlon Crow, uh, Brando in the original, that's
2: right, that's right. Um, but the little we know about him is essentially he's a sage and he's a person that that tried to try to run, help run the society with a lot of uh, with with a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of morals and, uh, and and a lot of belief in in the society and belief in the system. So I wonder is that the kind of tack that that they'll take on the show? And uh, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting to see. I yeah. think I, I think I I, throw, I threw it away as fan fiction, um, particularly the, the <laughs> particularly the inclusion of of David S. Gorer, because um, he was so heavily involved in Constantine that I didn't think he'd have the time. It's now in development. The pilot is in development uh, anyway. Uh, for sci-fi, who brought us. Forget about all the stuff that people always criticize. Sharknado.
1: Yeah. Forget Sharknado. Forget Sharknado. They're big ones. Even winners. though I'm Secret Guilty Pleasure, maybe. At em- least
2: the first one. I think it's everybody's Secret Guilty was Pleasure. It? Don't Octonado worry.
1: Nado versus Shark
2: Submarine Torpedo. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, forget about all those. They did bring us the fantastic Battlestar Galactica, Absolutely. which was uh, which was epic on a grand scale in space. Um, so they can do this definitely, definitely.
1: I think they should do Anaconda though. I love that film, Anaconda. And <laughs> yeah. if they could bring that back and do it, and do erased. a TV series written by David S. Gore. that'd be cool. Okay, uh, the battle. I'm of just it. thinking like animals like i kind of quite like horror done with animals like yeah. arachnophobia eight-legged freaks piranha children of the corn <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow we're, we're learning a lot about you tonight <laughs> excellent
1: jaws you know all that kind of stuff yeah forget sharknado forget that dodgy acting dodgy uh visual effects and mm. um, think battlestar galactica
2: Game of Thrones mashup, I yep. reckon. I think so. I think so. And on that note, I think we're done with the news. On to our discussion of episode 10 of Gotham Lovecraft.
0: Bruce!
2: So, episode 10 of Gotham Lovecraft uh, was written by Rebecca DeMarion, uh, who's a supervising producer on the show. Uh, she also wrote episodes of the following. Uh, the episode was directed by Guy Furland, who's directed episodes of Sons of Anarchy. Ooh,
1: shout out to Gotham Addicts there.
2: Absolutely. I love Sons of Anarchy. Um, he's also directed The Walking Dead, Homeland, and did three episodes of the Torchwood series, Miracle Day. That was, a, that was the one that was done in the States, the, uh, yeah, the nine yeah. episode series. So he did a third of the episodes of Torchwood. That's uh, the Doctor That's Who spin off. cool. Yeah. yeah. So really, really like interesting. Torchwood. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, John, do you want to give us a synopsis of the episode?
1: After a group of assassins attack Wayne Manor, looking for Selina Kyle, their contract, Bruce and Cat are forced to flee and go on the run into the underbelly of Gotham. A concerned Alfred works with Harvey Bullock to track down the heir to the Wayne family fortune, leading them to fish Mooney and ultimately to Selina's fence at the factory, a man called Clyde. At the same time, Jim Gordon follows another track leading him to a man he believes is responsible for the attempted murder of Bruce and Selena Kyle, Dick Lovecraft. Only to be attacked by the same attackers who attempt to implicate Jim and his firearm in the death of Dick Lovecraft. All the while, Falcone tries to come to terms with his monetary loss as he tries to root out a mole. Or is it a fish? Or is this a penguin in his (laughs) organisation? Selina escapes capture from the factory at the hands of the unknown assassins, and Bruce and Alfred are reunited, as another much-beloved partnership is broken up, as Jim, Gordon, and Harvey Bullock are split, as Jim is assigned to Arkham in retribution by Mayor Aubrey James for the death
2: of Lovecraft, and because of their simmering animosity. Very good. Um, overall, this episode um, really good. I like the uh, I like the fact that we're focused on one story for the, the vast majority of the episode this time. It's really, really, really interesting. In
1: yeah, I way. mean that felt different actually, Definitely. Um, and it was good. There are many things I actually really liked about this episode. Amongst them, Alfred, Bruce, getting out of Wayne Manor, mm-hmm. and their interaction with the world of Gotham, other than those four walls of the drawing room, I thought was brilliant to see the progression of that relationship that selena and bruce have kind of had there with her sneaking in and to that room and then also now being planted there uh, by jim gordon i love that progression and for me completely out of the blue was the breakup of Harvey Bullock and Jim Gordon. Mm -hmm. It was just as shocking as the Penguin coming up the lawn at Falcone's mansion um, in Penguin's Umbrella, as far as I'm concerned, and his reassignment to Arkham right at the end. So for me, this has an awful lot happening, um, but in a nice sort of bundled and complete story that, again, was the story which you would thread together from some of the serialised elements rather than that episodic
2: crime of the week yeah yeah absolutely um and definitely for me i, I totally agree the uh, the interaction between bruce and different characters than he's dealt with before and f- for certain the the interaction between sean pertwee's alfred and harvey bullock who've never met met in the past his interaction with uh, butch gilzean and his interaction with fish mooney are some of the best moments in the episode definitely uh, so really enjoyable so overall the episode itself really did focus on selena and bruce on the run didn't it? definitely
1: and um, with two kind of branches to it as well um, coming from it one was obviously harvey Bullock and alfred teaming up to essentially find bruce uh, maybe to find selena kyle but i don't think necessarily they were i don't think that was as much the focus it was more about finding bruce mm-hmm. and then on the other track it was jim gordon um, trying to track down who the attackers were, and um, focusing primarily on Dick
2: Lovecraft as the prime suspect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the opening scene with the attack on Wayne Manor by, um, by the group that I think DC Entertainment have called them the uh, the Copperheads is is what they've been called. So, um, that's a snake, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's something that that definitely struck me the the way that the the leader of the, the leader of the group attacks and kills her victims, which is by crawling on the back of them and, and constricting them essentially and, and uh, choking them to death and uh, knew there was something about it that, was, uh, that, that had to be snake-like. So it was great to know that DC Entertainment have called them copperheads like the snakes essentially as well, so, so it does make sense.
1: Yeah, and her mode of killing is a bit like uh, On a Top from, I think it was GoldenEye and the Pierce Brosnan Bond film where uh, he gets a, a similar kind of treatment I think, but in a sauna. Yeah. rather than on the grounds of a country estate. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, with, and with less innuendo in Gotham That's as well. true.
2: That's very true. This looks like a very brutal kill at the opening yeah. of this episode. Well, they, they cut him open, and she smears the blood over her forehead. Yeah, again, um, again we've talked about it before, but again, this, the violence that's in these episodes, or the things they do in the episodes anyway, the, the, the suggestion of violence that happens in the opening scene, of a show that airs at 8 p.m. in the U.S. is pretty brutal yeah. for, for And they the used the stuff. car
1: went off the road kind of trick as well <laughs> yeah. to, um, to then get to the front door and to get into Wayne Manor. But I suppose the real question is, if they're the Copperheads, who
2: bought them? Who sent them on the contract? Absolutely. And by the end of the episode, we don't know this. Right? No, um, we don't. We have a as, few
1: theories there. I've looked for as
2: many clues as I can, and uh, and I can't I can't come up with someone that it is. But we'll talk about it. Yeah, as we we'll go. talk about it as um, we go. You did mention uh, Bond and uh, and Top. Uh This is this is definitely Sean Pertwee's uh, audition for the next Bond, isn't it? This scene. Uh, definitely, he, he he is fantastic in the scene. Just, he knows you
1: know. how to fire a gun with a classic pose. Absolutely. You can tell he's SAS trained. Definitely, I think.
2: definitely. Um, it is a fantastic scene. Uh, with with Sean Pertwee taking down uh, a bunch of the uh, of the Copperheads as they attack. He um, shot
1: himself as well in in the shoulder as well from one of the assassins, who then ultimately gets a shot and that <laughs> that kills him off. Yeah, I thought you said he shot himself, which would be an <laughs> Wave did I yeah, maybe <laughs> I did of course I
2: didn't mean <laughs> <laughs> he got shot himself he memory? was pointing the gun in the wrong direction yeah. but
1: <laughs> no a, he okay. um you know he gets shot himself he is well and truly um physical in in this whole scene pretty ruthless as well you know he's not afraid of taking down um that assassin who's just shot him Absolutely. and he's certainly in full protection mode as Bruce Wayne's butler, or maybe guardian and protector, we yeah. should really be calling him.
2: Security. Some, yeah, I think something we'd, we've kind of been promised out of the series was that we would see a different side of, of Alfred, a different side of um, of this character that we've known in, in many past iterations, but never one this young, I suppose. Um, we talked about it, I think, before the first episode even aired that we'd probably see him more in a bodyguard role than in just the guiding uh the guiding hand or the fatherly figure, fatherly figure, and this is finally coming out in episode ten, where he is really showing the bodyguard side of his. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant.
1: I love it. Character. It's it, it's it's really great, and it's done so stylishly as mm-hmm. well by Sean Pertwee. I mean, props to him for just delivering just real style and class as he fires a gun and as he projects Bruce Wayne, and it, it, it's something you know we've not ever been able to see before. Um, because of the age, you know, yeah, and a much older Alfred is maybe not as nimble or as feisty or as um as strong as we see here in this version of
2: of Alfred. Absolutely, but I still wouldn't want to mess with uh with Michael Caine um if he came after me in the dark alley. To be honest, he still got some of that feistiness. Oh, <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely. But um, I think it's great, really great to see that. Just before that, as well, we do see um, a bit of balancing um work being done between Bruce and Selina where she 's teaching him to hold his balance and keep his core strong, as we all should do of course um, but uh, <laughs> he um it 's a really interesting little exchange just before that shootout Where you really get a sense um from Bruce, that he does suspect ulterior motives mm-hmm. from Selena Kyle, but he realizes that she's not showing her full, um, sort of hand of a uh, full deck of cards, really here, which is shown by this clip.
2: I don't imagine you consider me a suitable romantic partner, so why would you want to kiss me? I don't know. You think too much, kid? I'm just trying to be nice. No offense. You don't strike me as a nice person. What do you mean I'm nice? I don't mean you're not a good person, but you're not nice. You don't care much for other people. Screw you, orphan.
1: I just love the way he really teases out that whole thing about... What we know, I think, about Catwoman is that she's not a bad person, but she's not necessarily nice, because at the core of everything, she's thinking inwardly about herself predominantly Absolutely. not exclusively but predominantly about herself and how she's going to get by and how she's going to get the money to survive coming from that orphan street um situation that she finds herself in yeah and so i love the fact that he does say you don't strike me as nice but you're not bad either mm. and i think that encapsulates selena kyle Catwoman in general, and I, I, I thought that was a nice way of putting
2: it. Absolutely, and, and one of the other things we learn from this is that Bruce is willing to learn from pretty much anybody that's around him that's going to teach him. So he's starting to learn the balancing techniques from from Catwoman. A bit later on in the episode, he learns a bit more from a bit more from her about how to deal in the underworld of Gotham, uh, which will obviously, as we go, we'll get through those kind of elements. But he's definitely willing to take take lessons from anywhere um, yeah. essentially and incorporate them in his own learning. So we've, we've seen elements of Jim teaching him pieces, we've seen elements of Alfred teaching him pieces, and now we're seeing Selina teaching him something else that will build towards his character. And we see Selina wanting to get a kiss again. <laughs> She's very focused on getting this
1: kiss from yeah. Bruce Wayne. And to to an extent, I just wonder if that is part of her mystique and charm. You know, she's using that as a bit of a power play yeah. against him. This more reserved child, um, from a you know upper class, wealthy background, mm. who maybe hasn't had this street interaction where these things may be
2: more apparent.
1: Yeah, that I thought was.
2: Uh, kind of a nice little play as Ab- well. Absolutely, and I love, I love as, as you heard on the line. I absolutely love the uh, the the point that he's that Bruce makes that he's considered it, but he's considered that probably she's just doing it for her own ends. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's again analytical about his how he behaves to other people. Again, a nice little touch for for Bruce. But overall, again, back to the, quickly the attack on on Wayne Manor. There's one other piece that I really enjoyed, which was the inclusion of the secret passages in the building to get around. So when the kids are trying to escape. Um, Bruce leads uh, Selina to a, to an old passage that was used by servants, essentially, in the yeah. building. Just that little inclusion that there are secret passages within within Wayne Manor. It's a great little touch for anybody who's who's interested in Batman and interested in, the, in that focus and interested in Wayne Manor itself. It's kind of cool that they're just thrown in that little touch. I like that. Definitely. But then from this whole attack on Wayne Manor and the involvement of the
1: police and the cops from the GCPD, Jim's secret essentially comes out to harvey bullock the yeah. secret he's been keeping from him that um you know, as far as harvey Bullock is concerned the wayne's murder uh thomas and martha's uh murder ha- is closed finito and done and it all blows up in his face as harvey bullock finds out that cat selena kyle has been essentially holidaying for her own protection and safety at wayne manor And as Harvey Bullock said, how did that work out compadre <laughs> <That's laughs> great...
2: absolutely it's just an excellent scene I love um, Bullock and uh, and Alfred teaming up against each other with Jim where they just kind of they don't understand his motives for keeping this kind of stuff secret to himself Jim's doing it because he doesn't trust anybody in the city he's he's had reason not to trust anybody in the city but even his own partner has gone you could have told me about this I would have told you not to do it essentially which is why Jim didn't actually tell him it's not because he doesn't trust anybody it's because he wants to do things his own way um, um, he gets called a plank by uh, by Alfred, which is hilarious. He gets called a putz by, uh, by Harvey Bullock, which, again, everybody has it in for Jim. There's the fantastic scene where Harvey and Alfred team up. Yeah, and one other quick thing that is interesting is that Jim Gordon explains
1: the Lovecraft theory because, as well, Harvey Bullock is not aware of that either. And he's certainly not aware that the MCU have introduced Jim to Harvey Dent and that they... Essentially, this angle of Selena being kept in Wayne Manor and a slight uh, leak from Harvey Dent's office, none of that's known to Harvey Bullock. He's totally in the dark, and he does explain Lovecraft's theory here as well. Again, just illustrating to Harvey Bullock, um, am I your partner? I mean, you could just see the big question mark and I think his his reaction here is absolutely spot on. He's been kept in the dark by his partner mm-hmm. and certainly I think we've seen Harvey Bullock throw the loyalty um, towards Jim in helping him out over a number of episodes so this is a really interesting little bit of dynamic I think between the two characters and mm-hmm. sort of develops it further and then as you say we get Harvey Bullock teaming up with Alfred, which is
2: brilliant. Yeah, and that leads to Harvey and uh, Harvey and Alfred teaming up. Finally, the new the new partnership in Gotham with an awesome line. I'm coming with you. All right, you're pretty handy for a valet, butler, mate, I'm a butler. I love the... Uh, the. I'm not a valet, I'm a, I'm a butler. Uh, very cool. Uh, and then it leads to the interrogation room with Maggie. Yeah. Absolutely. And again,
1: we just see some great interaction here. And we see this other side of Alfred. To me, Alfred in this whole episode is chameleon-like. He shifts from different sort of roles and characters and portrayals um, to get... To where he wants to go and to get what he wants, and here in the interview room, we see him being really quite resourceful and adaptable with Harvey Bullock. Mm-hmm. Now he's got the resources to be resourceful, mm-hmm. as he whips out hundred-dollar bills and um, to give to Mackie, who's a street kid like Selena Kyle, so yeah. he is just lapping this stuff up. But um, Harvey's response here is, I can get this by beating the kid with a
2: roll of dimes <laughs> is an excellent line. Again, another great line from Harvey Bullock. Absolutely, absolutely. I think for, for next season, we're going to be instituting the uh, the Bullockism of the week, definitely. That's uh, that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, Mackie's the one that sends him off to, to meet Fish uh, to find out where... Uh, find out where Cat may have gone because he doesn't know. He he says she's really secretive about where she lives, really secretive about where she stays, and um, and maybe Fish will know because she's in charge of all the fences in uh, in in Gotham essentially. So that could lead to the connection between the two of them. So off Alfred and Harvey go to uh, to meet up with Fish, and that's it. another brilliant scene for the episode of getting you know Alfred and, and Fish meeting up together in a room. Um, fantastic yeah. having that intro between Butch Gilzine who's trying to block Alfred from meeting uh, meeting Fish and. Uh, and having Alfred essentially uh, intimidate him, he thinks. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, John, for our American listeners, who there's quite a few of, um, can you explain some of the lines from Alfred? So, uh, so they say that he had a friend that we call Butch, as a bit of a joke. Who wasn't Butch at all, essentially. Um, he was from Whitechapel, all right? So, where's Whitechapel, John? Geography major than you are. <laughs> Whitechapel is in London, right? And as you will
1: all know from the previous podcast, where we um, played the game with uh, Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stuart Jones, my London accent is atrocious. All right, Governor <laughs> Alfred is from London. Butch, again, can be used quite sarcastically, I think, in English. That guy's pretty butch, I yeah, he isn't. He isn't, exactly. In um, fact, mm-hmm. he might be the opposite of being butch and mm-hmm. manly. He could be something quite different. Yep,
2: yep, absolutely. And the other phrase he uses, is he calls him a horrible little tow rag.
1: Yeah, a toe rag, I could use another load of words <laughs> that you probably wouldn't <laughs> understand to describe what a toe rag is, mm-hmm. like um, whippersnapper, scally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scallywag, Knacker, you name it. Um, Will they have to edit any of these out? No, I don't
0: think think so. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. But essentially they mean a towrag. I don't exactly know the root of it Mm -hmm. offhand, but it's someone who really... They're pretty mischievous. They're pretty... Not necessarily nasty, but they get into trouble because they're mischievous right. um, trying to do stuff get stuff um at the expense of others okay
2: all right so basically the butch that he knew in the past was uh was a bit of a an Egypt, uh as we'd say in ireland yeah. maybe an address <laughs> perhaps an address yes all right thanks for the uh, explanation of, uh, of english terminology John. <laughs> Which if we've left Which is this, as bad as my accent. Excellent, excellent. We've, if we've left this in the episode, we you've done a good job. So back to Fish Meeting and Alfred's meeting. So Fish is uh, is pretty um doesn't really want to help Alfred out very much when uh, when they begin, does she?
1: She doesn't at all. Um and in fact he really has to put on the charm and be quite debonair mm. um to her. And again, this works um she i think she says the line remember this kindness mm. that i now give to you um you know i will check this out i think as well there's an element where he is almost bribing her saying well we're looking for bruce wayne the heir to the wayne family fortune mm. because he's with this orphan street girl who you know about through the fences that you um sort of run and all that that street-level ownership of the children and the orphans that you run. So she kind of maybe sees it as a way of getting further influence and power by, I mean, in some ways being disposed towards the the Waynes and their fortune, and maybe being able to get... um, a favour in the future. Yeah. Right? Remember this kindness. Absolutely. She won't give anything for free and maybe this will come back to um not necessarily to haunt Alfred, but she will want to get
2: her um her change from this transaction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or of course she's lost her boyfriend quite recently. Maybe she's just on the lookout for a new partner. Yeah. Uh, but I think <laughs> I mean as I said, Alfred to me is really
1: chameleon-like in this episode. He you know, is physical and ruthless with regards to um, the assassins attacking Wayne Manor. He becomes resourceful and adaptable when he's with Harvey Bullock during the investigation in the interview room with Mackie. We now see that he's both charming and debonair and can switch it on when he needs to in order to, in a sense, almost flatter people to emotionally bribe them, mm. maybe, for want of a better word, and to get things done. And, of course, what we have seen, whether it is with the shout in the woods or with telling Harvey and Jim to stop their kind of feud about who knew what, let's get on with finding Bruce Wayne, mm. this concerned and protective father-type figure and guardian type figure that he now feels, obviously, as Bruce's parents are dead. So this is a great range of different things that Alfred is being asked to show to us as an audience, and I love that. This was really one of the great parts of this episode for me.
2: Definitely, I said last week that Alfred is becoming one of my favorite characters in the show and this only sets to prove it even more. He's a really, really, really good uh, part of the show and, and the range of stuff that he's shown in this episode is fantastic. Something really, really new and really different from what we've seen in the past. Really good, really good. On the other side of the investigation, uh, Jim is is essentially tracking down Lovecraft. Is tracking down the path of uh, where are these... Contract killers could have come from, and um, so he goes to Harvey Dent's office to try and see if he can find Lovecraft, and um, who essentially uh, Harvey Dent knows loads about. He's, it sounds like he's got a pretty big case against this guy. He Even knows where his uh, where his um, his mistresses live, and that's where Lovecraft. And that is he's using,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah.
2: and that he's using
1: their names for an, a series of condos that he he owns.
2: Yeah, he's seriously um, got some investigation going on. But I really like that piece with Harvey Dent, where he's trying to justify why he linked. Jim Gordon's name to the to the person that knows uh, that knows the killer of the Wayne uh, murderers It's really again showing the two the two sides of of Harvey Dent. He's yeah, going to he, do anything exactly. He does come across here as slightly
1: untrustworthy, and um, to an extent, it, it's almost as though he's doing that normal lawyer speak of. Well, I didn't technically do anything uh, against what we had agreed on, yeah. but. Um, I think he uses the line, um, I had to give your name to a couple of sources for the deep background. Yeah. That was a really interesting phrase, I think, that was used because, I, again, I think of something later that we'll talk about as to you know who put out this contract mm. on Selena Kyle. But, again, it, it does further this idea that Harvey Dent is maybe, whether it's untrustworthy or whether he's just that sort of slightly unhappy Balanced or unhinged, mm. that he does certain things that maybe he shouldn't, and that would get him into trouble. And I think that kind of plays out later in um, in the GCPD when James Aubrey is there, and you get this sense of maybe a bit more information about his reputation within public office circles in Gotham. Yeah. Which is again really
2: interesting yeah, Har- to, to to develop that character. Yeah, Harvey's definitely someone that knows how to play the game in Gotham and that generally has meant for many of the citizens of Gotham Gotham that they're doing it for themselves, that they're doing Whatever the whatever their plan is, whatever the focus is, they're in it for themselves, and everybody else be damned. Essentially, and Harvey Dent looks like he's another one of those characters at times. Yeah, we got that hint that this was very much to get his case on
1: Lovecraft as to why he was using the the uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne murders, mm. and again, this comes to play and is hinted at really in in this this scene. But Jim goes then to Lovecraft's. Um, apartment yeah. um, to investigate and finds him there and this leads to a really interesting exchange of uh of words between the two
2: yeah yeah absolutely it's a it's quite an interesting piece essentially lovecraft it's the name of the episode um you you'd think again we're, we were we were faked out by the by the naming of episodes by uh by the creators of gotham uh, Sina kyle yeah. arkham yeah, um, Harvey Dent as well was yeah. was a little bit more central to the episode than than in, in the past. We had thought that Dick Lovecraft was going to be central to this episode. He was going to be the person that was behind the Wayne murders. We thought there was going to be something huge, just like Jim does. Essentially, he thinks that Lovecraft is the is going to be the one that will solve this whole problem for him. It turns out that Lovecraft is just another businessman in Gotham. Um, he the minute he heard about the Wayne the Wayne death Wayne deaths, he looked back and noticed that uh, there was a run on Wayne Enterprises stock just before they died, so he started doing some digging. This does lead to the question, again, as to whether the Wayne Enterprises are involved in the death of Martha and Thomas Wayne, as to whether they set it up. If someone's selling stock at the company um, the day before the death of the Waynes, it's very likely that they knew it was going to happen.
1: Yeah, this idea that there was a run on the stock um, and that Lovecraft kind of wanted a cut of that. He saw this happening, was asking why, and wanted to get in on that action or at least to maybe uh, bribe the people who were doing it. Mm-hmm. And again, it it does p- pose the question, was it someone, was it Wayne Enterprises as an organisation that was doing a run on itself, like an institutional run on the stock or was it an individual or individuals from Wayne Enterprises mm-hmm. doing a run on the stock uh, on Wayne stock or was it another organisation or person doing the run on the Wayne stock because they had ordered again a contract killing on Thomas and Martha Wayne? Yeah, as absolutely. the owner at, owner of. Of Wayne Enterprise. Yeah. But what I think brings it back to Lovecraft is in the sense that maybe he just knows too much. Maybe he's too good at snooping around and having his fingers in all these different uh, pies. But it's that um, it's just the way he describes um, this whole thing, um, which is in this clip here. You think I'm the big wheel. When it comes to the crunch, kid, I'm nobody. Just like you. And and the people who really, truly run this city, they're watching you huff and puff and run around crusading, and they are laughing at you. You're so deep in the maze, you can't see over the wall. Tell me something I don't know. Like, I love this idea of the bigger, sort of nefarious kind of organisation or or person, this mastermind behind things, and that idea that, you know, you think I'm the big wheel, Um but the people who are truly in charge are laughing at this idea that you're stuck in the maze um, and you're spending so much of your time and effort to get out of the maze. You don't understand that the maze is actually being changed on you by
2: someone from outside. Yeah, very, very interesting. Very interesting. It kind of led to a thought in my head that this could be connected to the Court of Owls, who are a very recent kind of addition to... Uh, to the comic book series, to to the Batman comic book series. Uh, Essentially, they they are a villain that has always been around and always been present in Gotham. Um, and that is controlling it from the back from the background. Um, I like that theory yeah. a lot. So I wonder, same. I wonder, will we see some of the court of owls? Um, they have been discovered numerous times over the apparently centuries that they were involved in the creation and in the background of Gotham. They've been discovered a few times and have always gone back into hiding. So they definitely could be used in in the TV show. Yeah, um, and it, it, it's very um, present with the new Fifty Two. And interesting, you know,
1: you've got the court of owls uh, collected, kind of graphic novel that was done by Scott Snyder Mm. and Greg Capullo and one of the one-offs that is compiled into that charts the effect of The Court of Owls on to I think it's Alfred's father Mm. who was also in the service of the Wayne family and that's a really interesting part as well, this idea that it goes back years, decades, centuries in terms of running Gotham and this kind of feels nicely, kind of evil and uh, nefarious to me, um, yeah. and I like that theory. It feels definitely. Yeah. Yeah. When you okay. told it to me, I did let out a little squeak.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's. A, I, I thought, it just, it just struck something in me that I thought was I thought was quite interesting. So it's possible that the copperheads are um, are the talons, who are the the uh, the right hand murderers, essentially of the court of elves, are the people that go out and kill. Uh, at the behest of the court of battles, that there is the possibility that we were that we but were discussing not as well. The,
1: they're the copperheads.
2: They're, they're called the copperheads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then
1: maybe it's just a different in the TV show. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just a different name for them. Or maybe ultimately the talons will will be there um, at another time. Yep. Who knows? Perhaps. But ultimately, poor Dick Lovecraft um, yep. gets a bullet in the head, and Jim Gordon is. Implicated by it, I wouldn't say he's framed necessarily. Mm. But um, the lead assassin, the the lady, she obviously shoots him in the head with Jim's firearm. No, it's suicide. <laughs> Don't do that. It's suicide. <laughs> I was questioning it. it no, We never saw it. But he's shot in the head in the bath. It's suicide, don't tell me any different. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Jim has been strangleholded by on a top as well. Um, and is knocked out, left kind of unconscious on the floor mm-hmm. um, by, by again the lead assassin. I mean, she's pretty efficient now at her job. Um, but then is woken up by his phone going off as the lead's that are all coming together from um, Fish Mooney um, that Selina has this fence, a guy named Clyde who's operating out of the factory and what we have now is this converging of both Jim Gordon, um, Alfred and Harvey Bullock but also then from the flea market um, this underground area which... According to Selena Kyle, it's like the mall but without the crappy music. Um, <laughs> that all all these now are converging onto what is known as the factory mm. where Selena's fence um, is. And unbeknownst to Selena and Bruce, uh, the assassins are heading there as well, the copperheads. Yeah, the um, fence
2: has called them in, as not to to get to essentially call them the bounty on their heads to get more yeah, money. Yeah, get some money. But. Prior to
1: this with Selina and Bruce, we do see like some really good interaction between mm. these two. For me, this is another great part of this episode, is just seeing that progression of Selina and Bruce's relationship. Kind of last week we had um, Selina in Bruce's world of refinement and getting up at eight thirty for breakfast, twelve thirty for lunch. This very ordered, very structured society. And then in this episode, we see that you know Bruce is caught in Selina's world, where um, you know she's telling him, she gives him fresh clothes to make him not stand out.
2: So he suddenly goes a bit grungy. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, for about three and a half seconds until he introduces himself as Bruce Wayne to well, the exactly. next person he meets. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's not great at this he's undercover life. Yet. Not yet.
1: Not nice. <laughs> yet. He's not gotten. Um, all in fairness, he doesn't get the idea of a um, secret identity mm. until he's an adult. That's true. Um, so, but he's in this world. This idea where she, she's giving him new clothes to kind of blend into his surroundings. But also this idea that you've got to be like smoke. You've got to be adaptable in these surroundings in the underbelly of Gotham. You can't come in with urs and graces. Yeah, Um, And it's a different perspective. And I love that sort of contrast from the previous week. And there's some great um, little moments here. I love the the whole jumping across the alleyway. Yeah, Um, fantastic scene. Really good. Again, Bruce following Selina. And Selina kind of really just liking him. It's almost like this is the first friend that she's met and I like this interaction a lot. Definitely.
2: Definitely and and one of the things that really struck me in particularly that scene of the jump across the uh, the alleyway is if Cat hadn't been there there would be no Bruce Wayne or Batman. How many times must she ask herself in the future? if I had just not put my hand out to this guy, I would have all those jewels and diamonds that I wanted. (laughs) But he (laughs) wouldn't have been up there because of that. Potentially, but if she hadn't stuck out the hand, he would have been lost. He would have fallen off that building and not, and not, not continued. Um... One good point about about the relationship between the two of them, as I mentioned earlier on, Bruce does learn from everybody around him. He does try and take lessons uh, from everybody around him. And um, she's given him some really terrible messages uh, throughout the, <laughs> throughout this episode. She's she's essentially lying to him about who's chasing him. First off, they were actually chasing her. She's lying to him, telling him, uh, telling Bruce they're after you, um, just to spend more time with him, uh, which is which is what he finds out later on, and then. She lies to him again, so he still doesn't call Alfred uh, and 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 you know get to the bottom of this whole thing and get back to back to his home. She still wants to keep him with him, and she and he's still following her. You know, as any twelve year old would do, I suppose. But one of the nice things about that
1: interaction, where he's looking for the phone call, he's looking for some money to make that call to Alfred, is that when Selina asks him, "Why does this guy matter to you so much? Why are you trying to phone Alfred?" I mean, even when they were leaving Wayne Manor. Bruce is toying with the idea of going back, mm. of staying there, because Alfred's in there and he might need his help. It almost harks back to his parents dying in the alleyway. Yeah. And, you know, she's asking, what on earth does he matter to you? He is your valet, or I should say butler. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I stand corrected by <laughs> Alfred himself, by his butler. Um, that Bruce says, he's my family. And that's a great little line. I mean, it's almost like throwaway, but it means so much. And David Mazouz pulls it off and delivers it in a really, really good way. Um, And it, it just really reinforces this and um, close um bonds that's forming and developing between Bruce and Alfred. Definitely. I think
2: I think you can be told that so many times throughout the previous episodes or throughout, you know, seeing their de- their relationship develop, but it's only when you see these two characters apart that you really realize how tight their bond exactly. is. And the reunion between the two of them, I must admit, Grown man, slight little tear in the eye Um, when the two of them reunite at the end of the episode. It's something that always gets me in, in TV shows and, and movies, to be honest. But uh, but when they reunite at the end of the episode and, and um, Bruce essentially shows his love for Alfred and shows that that, that is his family. Um, I think it's a fantastic scene and a, a nice little rounding off of the relationship in the first 10 episodes of the season so far. Uh, really, really good. But they
1: end up at the factory um, and locked away at the top of this building um, as the assassins come in to claim their contract and it's really here where we see in quite a um, precarious scene for for Bruce that it is Selina Kyle that they're after as the lead assassin is pointing a gun they've escaped and and so on, they've kind of uh, hoodwinked the the Copperhead guy who's been sent up to, to collect them by pretending that they've escaped out through the roof, um, and then he gets knocked down. But there's that moment, after some great sequences, actually, as Jim, Harvey, and Alfred turn up, yeah. there's that moment on the stairs in the factory where the lead assassin points a gun at Bruce to ask him, where is your friend, where is Selena Kyle? Selina's halfway out the window. Bruce is there, and he has her back. He says, she's gone. Mm-hmm. And But you find out here, as the gun is pointed at him, he was never the contract. Yeah. He was never the one that was in danger. It was because Selina was at Wayne Manor. It was because Jim Gordon had brought her into that world. It was because Harvey Dent had leaked to his sources, too much information, to a larger unknown organisation in the background um, that could be Wayne Enterprises mm. or someone. It could still be Falcone or Maroni or, or the Oswald Owls. or the Court of Owls yep. as the new theory, which I kind of can get on board it's with It's a that. working theory. It's a working, it's a working theory. theory. Yeah, And he protects her, and she gives him again. You you see David Mazouz in the role of Bruce Wayne, and he's really like a sponge. You really do. And, um, you know, he's in this precarious position. He's at gunpoint by the uh, Lady Assassin. And you can see him absorbing it as she tells him, don't ever mistake bravery for good sense. Mm. You know, again, I think you're right. Lessons are being learnt all over the place here, and it's great to see him out of Wayne Manor, as we've said before, because that's where he will learn these types of lessons in Gotham, on the streets, in a factory, and not just in Wayne Manor doing his corkboard investigation. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: absolutely. Um A nice little kind of bow at the end of their of their relationship when Selina comes back at the end of the episode to... To Wayne Manor after getting away, um, to say goodbye, so that she wants to be polite. So she's also learned a little bit from Bruce. Um, gives him back all the stuff that she'd stolen from him to sell to the fence, which is quite interesting. But keeps one item, uh, which is a little box that she—it's the one she stole in, I think episode three or episode four when she broke into Wayne Manor while he was asleep and um, stole a little box yeah, yeah, and yeah. said she's going to keep it. And um, trying to find out what that is, I'd love to—I'd love to know. I didn't get a chance to to research it properly, but it looks like a little. Uh, Image of maybe a scarab or a or a beetle or a butterfly on the top of that box. I wonder—is there something really important? Because Bruce ten Bruce looks like he concentrates on that, on that little box. Yeah, um, it,
1: when she pulls this out of her pocket, the engraving on it to me looks like um, a pair of wings mm. around a, a kind of a jewel. Yeah, that that's engraved onto the top of the box. But Bruce is kind of looks at it and he seems to have some kind of knowing look or he almost like, I recognise this or something like mm. that in his face. Maybe it's to do with the investigation that he's doing. Um, but he seems to recognise it. It was in that it. room, you're right. Yeah. 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 He seems to recognise it and it's like he's moving in to say something about it, maybe take it back off her, who mm-hmm. knows. Um, but before anything like that happens, before we kind of find out any more about his interest... In goes Selena for the odd kiss. Like and the final
2: kiss after three episodes she's of gotten telling her him I will kiss. Him. And she didn't <laughs> need
1: to go up to the top of a bridge where all mm-hmm. the people go to, to do it. But it's intriguing what that box and maybe what the um, engraving on the top of it might be. Who knows? Maybe we're way off the mark here. But it did look certainly like he sort of had this flash of recognition about what was on the top of it. Oh, certainly. I mean, and
2: obviously it is is—it is the box from his house. So perhaps it's just as simple as it could be his, his father's favourite ornament. It could be something that held his cigarettes, we don't know. Or something but, in it, it, maybe. Potentially. Potentially. That's, that's the fun part to, to speculate about. I think um, the other quick thing as
1: well, we have the reuniting of... Bruce and Selina, after she's escaped from the factory mm-hmm. and to safety. Although I will say, I think Chief Lady Copperhead assassin, she escapes from that factory. I think I yes, don't she think does. she gets shot. Yep. So maybe she will return um, in future episodes for someone else um, who needs to get killed. Absolutely, or um, maybe Selena again. She's not off the hook. Exactly. Um, but we see that um. But we see Alfred and Bruce reunited and we have that great scene and the great phrase again coming out of Alfred's uh, mouth where he says, you know, who else will employ a butler um, anymore in this town mm. um, in Gotham? That, you know, there's not many people like the Wayne family left who will employ butlers. I do that. As yeah, I said, That, really that it, it
2: did give me a little tear in my eye when I watched it. I must admit, really enjoyed it. Um so other pieces in the episode, I know we didn't really talk about it much. The the other kind of big section of the episode is Falcone and, and the fallout from last week's, I suppose last week's uh, robbery that that fish, um, uh, the fish commanded where she took out uh, took out his armory and took out his uh, took out his money um, last week and there's huge implications for uh, for the Falcone family this week essentially, um, Falcone kidnaps Penguin, um to find out what maroni why Moroni was involved in the in the uh, the robbery. Um Penguin essentially says to him, it's not Moroni. He wouldn't do something like this. This is someone on the inside, and Moroni is definitely not on the inside. He wouldn't have the he wouldn't have the knowledge to be able to put somebody inside your organization, essentially. Um but, but Falcone does not suspect Fish at all. No, he yeah. does think that Oswald
1: led Moroni to and the armory where his money was stored and he does think that um fish didn't have anything to do with i mean to the point where oswald calls him out with all due respect don falcone um, but she has not proven her loyalty to you why in a sense are you still trusting her they have this great exchange with respect i don't understand why you still tolerate her existence
0: she has proved her disloyalty a hundred times. She wants your head.
2: Like half the people who work for me. Fish makes me a lot of money. I can handle Fish Mooney or whatever son of a bitch did this to me. Tell me how to find them all. We're essentially, yeah. You know, well, Fish makes me a lot of money. I, I can handle her, is, is, uh, is the response from Falcone. Uh, and. Oswald says give me time I'll I'll, f- I'll find out who it is and I guarantee there'll be a connection that would worry me if I was if I was Falcon that would really worry me if if Penguin was saying I'll find her and they'll be connected to fish does that not sound like I'm going to make this up and make sure it's connected well, to fish well yeah <laughs> I'll and it, find you some evidence
1: exactly but there's um, that lovely scene as well that I think Robin Lord Taylor pulls off really well as Liza enters into the room when they're meeting one another Um, with a pot of tea Mm -hmm. and so on and she sees him he sees her falcon tells her to leave you know come back in, in a moment but just the expression on robin lord taylor on oswald cobblebot's face as as she comes in is just priceless i mean there's no dialogue but all in this whole dialogue But in this whole scene where they're talking about moles, the Mm. mole walk scene, and there's this knowing glance of Oswald, which is just priceless. And I love that.
2: Absolutely. And she looks terrified. She doesn't hide very well that she's the mole. Falcone could have looked around and seen that this girl is backing up before he even says, I'll be ready in a minute. She's backing up to get out of that door and out of that room very, very quickly. Um, Very interesting. This scene is followed by Oswald's right-hand man, the guy who seems to be training up. To In the same way that he was trained up by Fish, a guy called Gabe, um, who essentially doesn't like his his plan, doesn't understand his plan of not telling Falcone who the mole is. Uh, not telling Falcone now and getting it all out there that the reason why um, why he's been duped is because Fish has a mole inside and that mole is Liza, you know? Yeah, and also it um,
1: says it's all about timing, but this guy, Gabriel, certainly knows... Um, what's going on with Oswald. He seems to be fairly on the inside track on all of this yep. and, and knows the machinations that is going on uh, with Oswald. And this is a really interesting um, little scene because it, it it's is, like, isn't it? I mean, who is Gabriel? Yeah. We've never met him before. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it would appear on the face of it just to be um, his driver, but part of me would go, is it not Moroni's driver or... Something like that, but it's not because this is past the time where he's been um, picked up by Falcone with Mm -hmm. a black hood over it, so you know, so he doesn't know where he's going, yeah, even though it must be obvious he's in Falcone's mansion. But nonetheless,
2: we'll (laughs) skip over that, yes. Um, but it is a really interesting scene, I thought so. And and what's most interesting to me is that Oswald seems to be entrusting some of his. I suppose his most sensitive information that nobody else knows, he's entrusting it to this guy Gabe. Why? He's already he's already the one that's caused problems for Fish, he's caused problems for Moroni um, because of being that person that is on the inside and is being given all the information. Why would he pass that information off to anybody else? That's exactly. Up till this point you have kind of thought, well certainly for me
1: anyway, that Oswald Cobblepot was a one-man show. Mm. Yes, he may be able to buy allegiance from the likes of Frankie or from other uh, people once he's understood their weakness, but like we saw in um, Penguin's Umbrella. But... It's all been that he's the one with it in his own mind. He's mm. not letting anything out. If need be, he will kill the people that he's using to further his own plan, such as the Cannolis. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Is that what the, 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 those murders them, are called yeah, the Cannolis. The Cannolis. <laughs> the Cannoli murders. Right. Um, and all of a sudden we see him, as you say, giving quite intimate... Um, information out about his plan yeah. and about what he knows and even just the fact that this guy Gabriel does know that he is playing both sides off from one another he must have ultimate trust with this guy
2: yeah yeah and you have a you have a big theory on who you think this is I have a small one and hey, it's on. just based on what he looks like because we mentioned last week that the sketch that uh, that was done for by Selena Kyle, or or given by Selena Kyle, looked like a big guy. Butch Gilzean is what we assumed. This guy's also quite a big character by the look of him sitting down. Anyway, he looks like quite a big guy. I wonder, was he employed by Oswald Cobblepot to kill the Waynes? This is the first character that we've seen who has a similar kind of build to Butch Gilzean, similar kind of build to the Wayne murder. Who we saw in, in the pilot, and um, I'm wondering, is this Absolutely. is this the guy? Are it we could very a well be. to be.
1: It's a bit like where Oswald um, negotiates Jim Gordon along the investigation to do with. Arkham, mm. and how it's the competing factions of Maroni and Falcone and so on. And in the first episode, he talks about the chaos that the Wayne family murders will bring. Maybe he knew this all along. Maybe yeah. he knew about Viper. Maybe he knew about Wayne Enterprises. Maybe he knew about all these people that he's been a puppeteer, almost.
2: In fact, exactly. Maybe maybe, maybe he him... knew. Maybe he maybe he knew about it because he's the one that's instigating it all exactly and maybe
1: this is this whole grand plan playing out in front of everyone else but something that he is orchestrating as Falcone says in Penguin's Umbrella it's amazing how it played out exactly as you said it would do that he is this master puppeteer who's able to mould and work people that are associated with him to um, his ends you know that he's seeking to achieve, mm. and but quickly on Gabriel, another well, your theory yeah. possibility. It... No, just a possibility okay. of who this person may be. You know, it's pure speculation. It potentially does have a connection with the criminal underworld of Gotham, mm-hmm. and it potentially has a connection with Oswald Cobblepot. Okay. But it is speculation because it's just a first name, and maybe the writers just chose Gabriel. Mm-hmm. But there is a person called Gabriel Santo. This is all from New Earth, mm-hmm. which is one of the new story arcs. For, yeah, it's the new DC story arcs. Yeah. Is also a crime lord, a member of and leader of a crime cartel who view that crime will be a new social order, right? Um, in Gotham. He's a member of the Penitenti cartel, which models themselves on Penitenti monks, okay. I believe, that like to flay themselves. The, the penitent ones, yes. Right. Yes, exactly. Flay, a bit of flaying. So they're also violent. Gabriel Santo in New Earth welcomes Oswald Cobblepot as a powerful ally mm. to their cartel. Not a member of their cartel, right. but they are allies, Um and ultimately, both Santo and Cobblepot are attacked by the Red Hood um, at some point. Mm, okay. So, I'm not saying that any of this is going to happen, but there is a connection that within DC, um, the DC canon already, between Oswald Cobblepot and someone called Gabriel. Now it's Gabriel Santo. It would be interesting to know what this guy's surname is. It certainly has, you know, Oswald Cobblepot is a crime lord. Mm-hmm. That's his. That's his evil supervillain. Is that he is a really well-placed, masterful mobster and crime lord. Mm. And maybe it is just that he has also become allied to a new kind of cartel a new faction
2: or yeah, whatever. A yeah. new faction. Yeah. No. Very interesting. And again, it, it just that that theory would harken back to. Falcone's uh, hatred of the new people coming up who yeah. just want to destroy things who just want crime to take over the city he he believes in the balance and um, these new crime lords like Moroni, like Oswald and like Fish seem to just believe in the crime and it taking over the city essentially so yeah, yeah, interesting theories aren't well done. Um well I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in this episode yeah. um,
1: beyond Gabriel um, but also including Maybe the course of owls. Wayne mm-hmm. Enterprises still. Um, it's a really good episode.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And another one, of the really interesting ones, is the quick cut in to uh, to a scene with Falcone brutally taking out one of his captains as a message to the rest of the captains: as Don't cross Falcone. Um, you know, essentially, all we hear is a, bit, a quick crack or a quick snap of a of a gun. We presume. Um and one of one of the older members of his uh, of his captains is face down in a bowl of a uh, bowl of pasta. Um, spag ball? yeah. Well, Absolutely. I don't know whether it's spag ball or whether that's the man's blood. I'm not sure about uh, that because we see is uh, is some red pasta. Um, but parmesan with that anyone? <laughs> uh, no, definitely not. Um, I think he's been moved away by the uh, by the catering staff as well. But I like that essentially the message that he's trying to send is don't mess with Falcone. Uh, the message that he that's actually received by fish is. Uh, hold on, this is an opening for me. Uh Falcone has not only killed one of his uh, one of his commanders, um, meaning that he's unstable. Um, he's also telling everybody that you've got to pay more to me. you got to pay another twenty-five percent of uh you've gotta pay up to twenty-five percent of your take directly to me to support the family. So Fish is going, well, I know those two captains over there aren't happy with it, and I'm going to get them on my side. And tasks Butch with, uh, with going after those two captains and getting them over to over to her side, which I think is quite interesting, seeing the the message that he was trying to send and what was actually received by Fish is quite interesting.
1: Absolutely, and it's even just that whole idea that Fish and Butch is prior to Alfred and uh, Harvey coming in, and Fish is just saying to Butch, you know, stick to the plan. You know, go to these members... Um, this is, seems to be all part of her plan. Mm. He's slightly unsure. He's a bit nervous. She's the one telling him, stick to the script. Um, which is kind of interesting as well. It's the first bit of hesitation, I think, that we've seen from Butch. He Definitely. has been a loyal um, captain and right-hand man of of fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally agree.
2: Totally agree. Uh, really, really good stuff. Apart from that, really, there is just the... Shocking. Shocking revelation. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I, I unfortunately did see the uh, the revelation ahead of time, um, as people oh, were I didn't. as people were sending me messages for the last uh, two and a half weeks, going, "What's Jim gonna do in Arkham?" <laughs> see, <laughs> like, I didn't. I was definitely trying to keep uh, my eyes away from all of
1: this, and I was right. like, going, "Oh my goodness, this is brilliant." Alfred is doing like. Bond poses. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, killing people here, crossy chops there kind of thing. You know, he's there's a really good Alfred episode. It's a brilliant Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle mm-hmm. episode. Again, Alfred's teaming up with Harvey Bullock, really good. And um, the whole Lovecraft angle. I had the rug pulled from under my feet when right. um you come to that excellent scene with uh, Mer James Aubrey, mm. with Harvey Dent and um, Jim Gordon, sat in the office there. I think it's in the GCPD it precinct. Is, it is, yeah. It's yeah. in it's Captain Essence's Essence office. office yeah. Where, I mean, it almost looks like a headmaster with two naughty uh, pupils. Mm. Um, one who knows how to play the game, uh, and, one, the one, that and one that doesn't. Yeah. As we find out from this great set of dialogue.
0: Sir, I protest, but not too much. You see, Counselor Dent knows how to walk the line. He knows where the edge is. You, Mr. Gordon, do not know where the edge is. Mayor James.
2: Kiss my ass. So essentially he's saying that, that Dent knows how to walk the line, which I think is quite a, quite an interesting line. Um, Dent is unabashedly willing to throw Jim under the bus. Uh, when he realizes that he has thrown Jim under the bus, he suddenly goes, oh, well, actually, I'm not too sure whether I've done the right thing here. Um, I'm not too sure whether these characters are going to be friends like they are in the comics or like they have been in previous in previous uh, films. Um, it certainly... Harvey Dent, and to be honest, again, is really well
1: um, nuanced by um, Nicholas D'Agosta yeah here. Yeah. Um, it is a dubious response to what the mayor is saying, and the mayor comes out with a really good little line, which he says, "You know, you, you know, you you know to protest in a sense, but." not enough, not yeah. too much. Yeah. You, you know, you're not going to put yourself in harm's way. You will always kind of pull back before mud sticks or you get in the firing line. Mm-hmm. There's a real put-down by Mayor Aubrey. It essentially leads to Mayor Aubrey getting his revenge on Jim Gordon. And that means breaking up Jim and Harvey. Mm. And I was like, jaw to the floor, completely in shock that this was happening, that Jim gets reassigned to Arkham, to Arkham Asylum, and because it's all kind of fixed that well Lovecraft committed suicide because there was a relentless pressure coming from an overzealous cop with trumped up charges. I mean you you can't get any worse than that as sort of Mayor Aubrey is saying this to the the media. Mm -hmm. And Completely broken up the the partnership that is Harvey Bullock and Jim Gordon. Yeah, like the whole episode finishes with Jim walking into Arkham as essentially, I presume, just like a regular officer.
0: Yeah, yeah, it um, sounds like it's extent. a prison officer
1: almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and and they, they, the and question mark of who will be Harvey Bullock's new
2: partner. Yeah, who will it be? I don't know. I don't know. I like. I like that. Uh... Someone new,
1: someone old. Someone blew, Someone borrowed. <laughs>
2: I like that. There's a there's a nice bit of interplay between uh, between Edward Enigma and and Jim. When Ed finds out, he's like, "I'll follow a report. <laughs> I, I I don't want you to to be lost here." Again, it's his. It's Enigma's only ally in the department. From the stuff that Harvey's done, Jim has really become his only ally in the department as well. Because everybody shut him off for the things that Jim's done. Um, it's unfortunate that this has happened. That the that the relationship has finally broken up in this way.
1: And I think just to come back on that scene in Captain Essen's office, and it's something that one of our listeners, Detective Daniel Butcher, has previously said, is that Richard Kind, who plays uh, James Aubrey, Mm. uh, is great in this scene. I really, really enjoyed um, this scene. It's a real standout, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, really, real standout. And it's because of what... I think Daniel had mentioned where he had picked that out and you kind of look back at some of those scenes with Richard Kind and he just plays this menace and you can see almost the glee in his voice. He doesn't mind that Jim Gordon is kind of standing up to him because as far as he's concerned, he's just got this now arrogance, this untouchable uh, feel or outward persona that he's projecting. And I love the way Richard Kind has, has... taken this man and crafted him into a real dubious public official and um, who will do anything and he echoes what um falcone has said as well that you're upsetting the balance of Gotham the order of Gotham by continuing the investigation of Thomas and Wayne. This It's exactly what Falcone said to him. He is this old school public official for gotham which is about the balance between law and order and organized crime and in a sense that symbiotic relationship that they have
2: yeah yeah absolutely there's even that great little threat did you see the veiled threat that he gives them which is uh he calls he calls dent and uh and gordon uh arrogant clowns, and then says i should have you stuffed in a sack and thrown and in, thrown in the river but I can't do that because having two people fall would be, would be bad against me, essentially. So he's saying he would do it. It's something that he would do in the past. He would have killed anybody that got in his way and, and thrown them in the river. But he's not going to do it because it would look bad if both of them went down. They would be immediately traced to him as the, as the intention. So he is threatening them. He is threatening to kill them well, he's going to actually just destroy one of their careers by sending them off to Arkham. It's a really good scene, really, really good.
1: And I think with this, though, I'm really excited now for Episode 11 because this is an exciting development with Jim moving, essentially, to police Arkham Asylum. What happens to Harvey Bullock? Who is he going to partner with? Or Mm. what's his relationship moving forward now with Jim Gordon? This is really interesting. And then the deeper questions over Wayne Enterprises, over the Copperheads. Who is actually pulling the strings here um, yeah. in Gotham? Yeah. Is it Falcone? Is it Oswald? Is it Fish? Mm-hmm. Is it Wayne Enterprises? Is it another organization that we're still to find out about? Hydra. Because. <laughs> and now, well, that's a crossover that certainly won't be happening. Okay, that won't happen. Sorry. If only, though. would be quite cool. Maybe <laughs> be like, quite, or Spectre. It'd be quite interesting, yeah. Spectre, actually. Yeah, will be yeah. It's a whole Bond you know, tie-in this episode. Yeah, yeah. the Bonds tie-in. But is really exciting for the new year for mm-hmm. me, and I can't wait for it to to come, actually. It's yeah. brilliant.
2: Um, only got one other thing for this episode, uh, for me, I think it's just the reappearance of Ivy Pepper this episode was a bit of a shocker, um, to be honest. I knew... I, I kind of seen that, that Claire Foley was going to come back in a future episode, so the Irish actress that that plays Ivy Pepper, I kind of had seen that she was going to be coming back. I didn't expect her in this location. I didn't expect her to be as messed up as she is in this episode. We find out that she's obviously lost her father, who, who she lost in the pilot. and uh, was killed by uh, by Harvey Bullock. Um, and now we hear that, that her mother killed herself. Um, yeah. Yeah, because of the death of the father, potentially. Um, and now she's on the streets. Um, another street urchin. And also the fact that Catwoman, or sorry, Catgirl, or Selena Kyle Selina is Kyle scared or of her cat. Yeah, it's, yeah. It like is actually scared, genuinely scared of her. And kind of see why. She's a bit of a freaky little character, but I like the little part. You know, it was a really nice little uh,
1: portrayal of Ivy, and I really can't wait to see that develop. That will be really interesting.
2: To if she see if, if she out, appears in and out like a character like Mackie, who's been in three episodes yeah. now, I think. I think you could do that with Ivy Pepper. she doesn't need to be central she doesn't need to be to be running with the gang of kids in Gotham and make it you know as we said before the problem with the show could have been Gotham babies. It's not supposed to be that um I'm hoping that you're not gonna run with them for every episode. I'd like to see Claire Foley come back maybe once every two or three episodes um just an appearance from her but- and maybe it would it would establish better for season two. You know we're yeah.
1: kinda getting snippets of Ivy Pepper here yeah. um okay. Maybe it could be even a shorter time between seeing her again, mm-hmm. but maybe it's something to expand out in season two. Absolutely, absolutely. Who knows where it's going to go?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was just one one bit of the scene with her that I wasn't hugely happy with. I thought the the uh, the comments that that oh, Bruce is a bit cute, isn't he? I felt it just it, it felt out of place. It felt like a nod to her future or to people who know um who know Poison Ivy in the comic books as a whatever, 24, 25-year-old um, who's attracted to Batman, it felt like just a bit of a weird nod for an 8- a or 9-year-old girl or a 10-year-old girl to a 12-year-old boy that she would need to acknowledge that, oh, he's cute, isn't he? Um, it just felt like a bit of the wrong nod to, to send at this time. It's enough to know that she's lost her mom, she's lost her dad, and she's living on the street, and that she's already starting to be pretty creepy. Um, it's enough to know that about the character. I don't think we needed the, that element of uh, of her fancying the young Bruce Wayne. I don't know. It seemed a bit odd for me.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I did kind of take it up as being... Oh, Selena's attached to him, not necessarily romantically or in any kind of way like that, but it seemed like she was trying to just roll with Selena mm. to an extent. So I know what you're saying, but I didn't necessarily read or take it up in that way to begin with. But yeah. I think overall... For me, this is a really good and actually unexpected in many quarters um, mid-season finale Mm. as we move into kind of the Christmas, New Year break. And I loved it. For me, standout, absolutely, Sean Pertwee. I loved the range that he brought to Alfred and the interaction and to see him outside of Wayne Manor along with Bruce Wayne Mm. um, and that continuing development with the relationship between Bruce and Selena is really good for me. I really enjoy that. I think then the shock revelation of Jim moving to Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. like, I just did not expect that. Completely out of nowhere. And it's a really interesting little twist, which will, I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. So, for me, really good episode. Mm-hmm. Up there with Penguin's Umbrella, actually, for me. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see episode 11.
2: Yeah, no, excellent, excellent. I think, I think, I don't know whether it's because the writer who wrote this episode really knows how to write for the Alfred character. Has given that, Maybe they were just given that task of how to write a really good Alfred episode. But I think it upped the game of Butch Gilzean. It upped the game of Fish to have a new partner to play off. It upped the game of um, David Mazus again. He's been brilliant with um, with Sean Pertwee's Alfred. But have Davin Dav Mazouz separated from Alfred for a while and have them come back together and have a really emotional moment together, it's fantastic. And again, as I said, Harvey Bullock and Alfred. I'd love to see Alfred join the GCPD and become Bullock's new partner because the two of them work so well together. They have such, this, such a good play off each other. It was you know? great. The guy from the upper society in Gotham and the guy from essentially this... The lower society of Gotham and Harvey Bullock working together to crack the criminals. You know, it's it's almost a it's almost its own uh, detective show.
1: I think we said this in one of our first episodes, where the picture that was released of Alfred was, it had him in a coat that looked very much like one of the sort of it's almost like a Victorian detective. Mm. He was wearing this sort of woolen coat. Um, okay, it did look very butlery, I think like we said. At the same time. Yeah, but very Sherlock yeah. Holmes, very kind of that era. But nonetheless, we still have to find out more about his military uh, background. You know, mm-hmm. yes, we know he was in the military, but was he, for example, in the military police? Or was he, you know, front line? Oh, it's Jack so Reacher. On?
2: It's the British Jack Reacher. Exactly.
1: Like and maybe he could get consulted on by the gcpd mm. in certain circumstances not to say that that happens every week but maybe that occasional interaction with the gcpd almost like as a consultant
2: could be really really interesting yeah. Yeah, i'm liking your theories here i'm liking your theories um so we'll see in a couple of weeks hopefully uh, we won't be too too long away um as we said, we'll know more uh, in the next couple of weeks. We will try and have an episode out uh, early in 2015 um, with, with some kind of either recap of the first 10 episodes or perhaps something new and something interesting. Um, yeah. Keep an eye out your, on your podcast feeds. Hopefully we won't be too long away. I think with that, Merry it- Christmas, Alan. Happy New Year.
1: Yeah, Merry Christmas, Alan, and uh, a happy new year. We can't wait to be getting back into episode 11, certainly given the events of uh, episode 10 this week. Um, So if you want to provide us with any feedback or any comments of the first 10 episodes so far, please give us a shout at feedback at GothamTVPodcast.com or... You can contact me or Derek on john at gothamtvpodcast.com or Derek at Derek at gothamtvpodcast.com or search Gotham TV Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus or Tumblr and interact with us in those ways. And um, again, have a great, great Christmas. Um, Thank you for listening, and see you in 2015. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: If you've uh, if you've just been listening to the ten episodes of the uh, reviews of the series so far, just make sure you go back and check some of the some of the episodes that are in our archives. We've done a, an entire review of the uh, the series of the Christopher Nolan Batman films. We've done a review of um, Batman Year One um yeah i have done a, done a ton of stuff that you'll, stuff you'll be able to find in the archives i've also done interviews with a lot of the major cast now of uh, of Gotham um some of the major cast of uh, of Constantine and uh, the producers of that of that show uh, so go back and check those out if you're going to miss us over the uh, over the break and hopefully we'll see you very early in 2015 exactly as you're snuggled up in front of the warm fire drinking a festive
1: drink mm-hmm. plug in those earphones turn on your iPod or Android device and listen to our
2: Dorset tones absolutely. this Chris absolutely sucking. yep we're going uh, to leave you with uh, jingle bells uh, rendition. Batman smells <laughs> lots of fun and cheer. absolutely well thanks very much for listening as always we'll uh, talk to you very soon in, uh, in 2015 and uh, as, as John said let us know your thoughts and uh, leave us another review on iTunes if you get the chance um, on our episodes it would be great to, to let other people find us as we go into the second half of season one uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll talk to you again next year yeah thanks, thanks for listening and we'll see you in 2015
1: Happy holidays. Happy holidays. and a great new year.
0: We'll speak to you soon. Happy Christmas. (laughs) Happy Christmas, Alan. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey!
1: Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel and the Joker got away. The roof in a one horse open tree, busting out I go, laughing all the way. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Whitechapel's an upper class area of London, though, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is.
2: And um
1: what's the other word you want? <laughs> and then the other one. <laughs> so, Whitechapel is a fairly well-healed area of
2: of London.
0: Mm-hmm. Um...
2: <laughs> Anybody else like to explain the horrible little tow rag and uh, and bloke from Whitechapel and why uh, and and the uh, the slagging of uh, of Butch? Uh, pop in an email to us to feedback at podcast dot com.
1: In particular, any of the people who listen to us who are from London, <laughs> yes. we would appreciate um, <laughs> certainly the Whitechapel reference. Which is kind of interesting because that's a very specific part of London, and I'm just not very good at the root of where towrag comes from. Um... <laughs> oh, <right>. sorry, <laughs> you towrag. <laughs> In my world, you need to behave like smoke essentially, be a bit more fluid, a bit more sort of, uh... yeah, fluid and smoky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Be a bit more fluid.
2: Yeah, but with
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: she does but indeed. She doesn't hide very well. Uh, no. Her moliness. <laughs> she doesn't hide very well that she's the mole Um, I if, if, if a mole. she doesn't hide very well that she's the mole Falcone doesn't happen a to mole. look a She doesn't hide very well. That she... <laughs> you stop it.